Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to the Bitcoin for Boomers show. See it right there, Bitcoin for Boomers. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and I am a boomer. Okay, so all you boomers out there, you're not alone. <laughs> there are a lot of us. But this show is called the Bitcoin for Boomers show because I'm a boomer and we talk about Bitcoin. But you don't have to be a boomer to watch this show. It just happens to be that I am. You know, what I'm trying to do here is teach people about Bitcoin, is to educate people about Bitcoin. We bring on guests who are friends of mine that are in the Bitcoin world doing different projects or different things. And we talk about their projects and talk about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin can help you. Today, we're going to bring on Matt O'Dell. Matt O'Dell is a good friend of mine out of New York. He's been in Bitcoin for quite a while. So I think you're going to enjoy the conversation we're going to have with Matt. We're going to talk about stacking sats, which is a meme he's come up with. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and being early for Bitcoin. A lot of people think it's too late to get in Bitcoin. Matt says it's too early to think you're too late. That everybody thinks they're too late, which is true. I thought I might have been too late when I got into Bitcoin. There are people who got into Bitcoin at $100 who thought it was too late. But Bitcoin is a cutting edge technology that's going to be here for a while. And it's something that you need to learn about. As I always say, and I'll say it again before the show's over, I'm not selling you any Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm not selling you anything. I'm just trying to bring knowledge to you and educate you on something that's new, that's happening in the monetary world, that I think you need to know about. And as Bitcoin moves through our world and becomes something that is more known and more stable and of more value, you'll be ahead of everybody else because you at least ways know what Bitcoin is. Maybe you can just use this information by the water fountain or by the water cooler. Do we have water coolers with COVID? I mean, maybe when you're just talking to people, you can at least ways be in the conversation and you'll know what Bitcoin is because I know you've heard about it, but you're going to hear a lot more about it in the years to come because Bitcoin is going nowhere. It's not going away. It's going nowhere, but up and becoming more and more valuable, in my opinion, and more and more useful. A lot of people just think of it as a value thing, as a monetary money, but it's a tool. So I want you to stick with us. We're going to go to a break from our uh, sponsor in a minute, but stick with us on the Bitcoin for Boomer show. And as I said, I'm your host, Gary Leland, and I can't wait to get to this episode with Matt O'Dell. See you in just a minute. Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin for Boomers show. Thanks for coming back after that break. As I said, I'm Gary Leland, the host of the show, recording live here in Dallas, Fort Worth at the Biz TV studios. And this show is the Bitcoin for Boomers show, but that's only because I'm talking about Bitcoin and I'm a boomer. <laughs> okay, anyone can learn from this show. And that is the goal of this show is to talk about Bitcoin, how it's going to change the world, educate you on what to do. I have nothing to sell. I have no Bitcoin to sell. So this is not a show selling Bitcoin. This is just a show to educate you about Bitcoin. Now, one of the things we do like to do on the show is get a couple questions from the people who watch the show. If you have a question you'd like answered about Bitcoin, of course, send it to 
GaryLeland at gmail.com. That's GaryLeland at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer your shows on the question. Are your questions on the show, should I say? Oops, sorry about that. Travis, we got any questions today? Uh, yes, we do. We have one from Kathy in New Jersey. Uh, what is lightning on the Bitcoin network? Well, lightning on the Bitcoin network, that's your question. Well, first of all, lightning is not blockchain, okay? Lightning is more of a protocol. But, you know, this is a question that I sometimes get a little confused with myself. So I am going to bring on an expert on this field. Our guest today is Matt O'Dell. And I think Matt knows more about lightning than anyone I know. So, Matt, would you answer that question? Um, well, I mean, first, I would like to push back on, on being an expert, but I, I do spend a lot of time on this. Uh, Lightning is a way to send payments using Bitcoin uh, without paying as high fees as you would otherwise. And they, the, the transaction gets processed much quicker. Um, so it works really well for smaller payments. Uh, payments that you want to do in person, payments that you want to do online. Uh, it's, 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 it's a payment technology for Bitcoin, to put it simply. So it runs on the, on the Bitcoin network, but it's not necessarily part of the blockchain, as we, as we always hear about blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain, right? It's, it's basically a parallel network to Bitcoin, where the transactions happen in the Lightning Network, but they're ultimately settled onto the Bitcoin network after a certain amount of time, depending on on how the the parties that are doing uh, that are handling the Lightning transactions choose to settle it. So sometimes we could have, you know, you could have theoretically you could have millions of transactions before they ever actually get settled back onto the Bitcoin chain. Okay, good enough. I hope that answered your question. And Matt, thanks for taking the time. I usually don't bring someone in here that early to answer a question, but since that fits so well to your specialty, I kind of think, or kind of, I kind of think of you as a someone who knows a lot about lightning. So since you were on the here for the day for that question, I thought I should just bring you right on. Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and your Bitcoin story. How did you get involved in the Bitcoin? Um, you know, I I was a young kid and I. More? Saw a lot of <laughs> I saw a lot of problems with the world, and I I stumbled into Bitcoin. And at first, I didn't think it could work, and then I tried to figure out how it couldn't work. And as I went further down that rabbit hole, I started to realize that it could really work, and it could be something that solved a lot of the issues that we see today. And since then, I've just been almost addicted to it. I just constantly constantly trying to learn and and use it and and just increase my knowledge in that regard so you actually started spending more of your time trying to debunk it i guess to prove it wouldn't work is that what you're saying yeah that was my frame of reference in the beginning in the beginning my immediate gut reaction which i think a lot of people have as well is that there's it's impossible for us to have a money that's independent of governments and corporations. And so I came at it from that framework and then I just tried to confirm that bias basically. And I just kept trying to steel man it and, and figure out how it couldn't work. And the farther I went down that, that rabbit hole, it, it became apparent to me that it could very well work. 
uh, I had some big concerns, but as the years have gone by, those concerns have been alleviated a lot of the time. Well, you know, one of the things I hear the most from people with Bitcoin when I'm talking to, well, let's face it, I'm going to talk to more boomers than I am going to talk to young kids about Bitcoin because that's who my peer group is, that's who I hang out with. And the thing I hear the most about Bitcoin from them is I'll hear a statement like, well, isn't it used for a lot of criminal activities? Or isn't that used by drug lords? You know, something into that phrase as though it's something that's wrong, it's something bad. Um, you've heard that before, I'm sure. And, and what do you typically say when you hear that? I've heard that many, many times. Uh, when I first got in and first started getting interested in it back in 2013, it was way more common uh, of a argument against Bitcoin. Uh, since then, Bitcoin has been legitimized a lot more. Uh, we do have a lot of finance and Wall Street types that have moved into the space. Um, there's more regulatory clarity in terms of uh, Western countries and how they are going to interact with this thing. Um, I mean, there are still criminals that use Bitcoin, but the overwhelming majority of transactions are by law-abiding, honest people. And any good money is going to have criminal usage because criminals need money as well. And, and we see that with the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is, is the main funding source and the main means of payment for criminals around the world right now. But no one says, you know, we shouldn't use U.S. dollars because of that. Most bank robbers get away in cars, and I don't hear anyone saying we shouldn't use cars because of that either. So you could make that argument with about any technology, I guess. But it's just funny how often I hear that. I don't know how that became such a, um, a, a point that people everywhere have heard, you know, why that was focused on. What do you think is the main reason for that? Do you have any ideas? Well, I think the main reason was because the number one use case for it uh, the first killer app, if you will, uh, was the Silk Road, was these online drug markets uh, where you could buy drugs using Bitcoin. Uh, so because that had so much popularity originally, a lot of people have stuck with that, right? But I, I do think that that argument, I, I've, I've seen it dramatically decline. You don't see that argument nearly as much as we used to see. Well, yeah, you're right. I guess when it did start out, you had uh, the Silk Road and uh, a lot of criminal activities, a lot of drugs being sold, but I don't see that much. I'm sure it still is being used for that. Most of the time when I see something negative now, it's not nearly as was before. Do you think, um, do you think this year, this is a, a, the start of a bull market, it looks like to me? Do you think this is a year for a bull market to start? You know, Gary, it used to be that every time Bitcoin, there was a Bitcoin article in a mainstream newspaper, like a CNN type or a New York Times type or whatnot, the first paragraph would just all be about how the Silk Road existed and how Bitcoin was used for criminal activity. And now we don't see that anymore. So I see those little things are, are big improvements. Um, as for, in just perception terms. Right, right. But as, as for the Bitcoin bull market, I mean, it does really feel like we're on the precipice here of, of a big run up uh, in terms of both price and adoption. And I think price follows adoption because it's a scarce asset. So as more people buy it, the price should go up. And I, I just think that 2020 in general has just been one big advertisement by governments and corporations about why 
you need a money that's independent of both of those. Well, I want to go over stacking sats, a term. I think you made up that term, uh, that meme. So I want to go over stacking sats when we come back. We're going to take a moment and uh, go to a word from our sponsor here. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Matt Odell about stacking sats, what stacking sats is, why you need to stack sats. And before we go, I do want to say that while this break's going on, go get your father, go get your brother, go get your sister, call someone you know, tell them to get on TV, and let's watch the Bitcoin for Boomer show. Because everybody needs to know about Bitcoin because it's coming, and you need to know about it now before it gets here because there's nothing that's going to slow this down, I don't believe. So we'll talk to you in a minute after this word. to the Bitcoin for Boomer show. I'm your host, Gary Leland at the Biz TV Studios. And today we're talking about Bitcoin with Matt Odell. Matt, I want to talk to you about this meme you created, which really took over uh, Bitcoin Twitter like, like crazy. I mean, it's a common thing any Bitcoiner on there is talking about. Stacking sats. What is stacking sats? Why are we stacking sats? What are sats? We've never talked about sats on this show. So we got a lot of information here to cover just to say what stacking sats is before we go any further. So give us a lay down. So the origin of, of stacking sats, or at least my goal with it, I mean, it's when you have a meme like this, it's, it becomes or, it's organic and it, it grows and people have their own takes on it, you know. But my original goal was twofold. First of all, people see Bitcoin, they think the price is really expensive. Um, what they don't realize is, you know, everyone knows there's 21 million Bitcoin, but they look at the price, they go, oh, it's $11,000. That, that's really expensive. I, sh I should have bought it when it was cheaper. But unlike stocks, well, I guess some stocks now you can, <laughs> but, and unlike gold, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin because it's a computer protocol, because it's a protocol, it's it's got a bunch of decimals behind it you can you can break it down into right now you can break it down into the lowest unit is 100 million sats we call them sats so there's 100 million sats in a bitcoin it's a currently it's uh currently like 8500 8700 sats per dollar um if we ever need to we can change the protocol and and add more you know add more divisibility to it in the future. But for now, that's plenty, plenty divisibility in, in my opinion. So sats are the smallest unit. So I think people should start thinking in sats. Um, you know, 21 million isn't that many units, right? That it just truly scares. But when, when you break it down to 100 million, it's, it's more manageable, I think. Um, the other element of it is something that I think boomers already have a very good grasp on. And it, it, it was more focused on my generation and that's dollar cost averaging. And that's when, you know, we have a nascent asset in its adoption phase, uh, that is highly volatile because it's so scarce and because the liquidity is just not really there yet. Like the liquidity grows every year, but it's still a relatively illiquid, uh, asset. 
Um, so what, what we see is we see short-term volatility is crazy. You, you see huge spikes and huge decreases. You know, when you watch CNBC about stocks, um, they're freaking out on 3% down days. But meanwhile, Bitcoin, you know, it, 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 go, it goes up uh, 100x and then it goes down 85%, you know, in short-term short timeframes, like it's nobody's business, you know? So, so dollar cost averaging allows you to edge out that volatility short-term and think long-term. Think, think long-term in, in respect to as adoption grows long-term, the price should rise. So I'm going to ignore the price and I'm just going to dollar cost average my way in. Well, dollar cost averaging is, is a good um, a good thing for everybody to use. I mean, you know, how many times have people bought Bitcoin? I'm sure other things too, stocks or anything, but they've seen Bitcoin going up and they buy it. And maybe they had $1,000 to throw in there and they threw off $1,000 in there. And with Bitcoin, next week it's worth 20% less. So maybe if they divided that Bitcoin up and did $100 a week, dollar cost averaging, their cost on the Bitcoin is going to be lower on the average. That's what we're talking about here, right? Exactly. And if you look at most periods in Bitcoin's history, uh, if you buy lump sum, there's a lot of times where you could get completely destroyed. As you said, you know, you buy some Bitcoin and then two weeks later, you're down 30%, 40%. But if you look at longer time frames, dollar cost averaging, in this case, stacking sets, um, it is it is very rare for you to have extended periods where you'll be down because the price is, it, it, it seems to be following this pattern of short-term hills and valleys, but long-term it's trending up as adoption increases. So a, a sat is, uh, just wanna make sure I get this correct. First of all, it's like a hundred millionth of 21 million. So 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, and there are 21 right. million Bitcoins. So I don't know what the math is on that as to how many sats they are, but it's a whole mess of sats. So you could buy 1,000 sats, and what's that going to cost you, like a dollar? Or is that a dime? Or how much is that? Well, right now you can get 8,500 sats for a dollar. Okay. 8,500 sats for a dollar. So if you're right. buying five or ten dollars a week, you're actually adding up to a lot of Bitcoin when you think about it. And yeah, maybe you can't afford ten thousand or eleven thousand dollars, but but if Bitcoin does what some people think or some people predict, and is the future of money, those ten thousand sats or whatever could be good money uh, by themselves in ten years, twenty years. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think like if Bitcoin's successful. Like, it's just not going to be feasible for people to be pricing things in Bitcoin. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, no one's going to go buy, you know, like a coffee or something for like 0. 0.00003 Bitcoin. You know, so if it's if, if you're buying it for 20,000 sats or 30,000 sats, like that makes a lot more sense in my mind. And as the price goes up, that those numbers will will make more sense. Like uh, sat cent parity would be $1 million of Bitcoin, right? Like no one's going to be making, no, no one's going to be making uh, transactions on, on a million dollar equivalent purchasing power transactions. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. Um, but so sats is, is a more relatable unit. So if you walked into a store to buy a shirt and Bitcoin was accepted by the store in the future, 
Yeah, they're not going to have a sign if they're going, this shirt is 0.0000026 Bitcoin. No one's going to know what in the world that is. Most people can't do fractions anyway, much less with a calculator, much less in their head. But if we were talking sats, then that shirt could be 25,000, 50,000 sats. And while that might sound high, since people are used to paying $20 for a shirt, 50,000 sats is a lot easier for people to understand than 0.0000015 Bitcoin, you know, basically is what we're saying here. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's some disagreement in the community because there are units in between Bitcoin and sats. Uh, I just jumped to the lowest unit because I figure we might as well just get it out of our system now because it's hard for people to, you know, to mentally keep switching units as the price goes up. Um, so like, you know, and we've been floating around $10,000 for a while. So I still do all my price conversions at $10,000. But at $10,000, um, you know, if you want to pay someone $100 worth of Bitcoin, you can pay them 0 0.01 Bitcoin, or you can pay them a million sats. It's the same amount. It's the same amount of Bitcoin. They're both equivalent to $100. It's just in my head without decimals, it's cleaner. You know, right. it just makes more sense to me. Yeah, when you're using when when it's an even amount like ten thousand like that, or so, uh, what are you gonna do when it's like sixteen thousand dollars and thirty thousand dollars? You know, I I, I think uh, in the beginning, like we're still very early in Bitcoin, and in the beginning, you know, because we have all this short-term volatility, like it's gonna take a while for people to start thinking and thinking in Bitcoin terms, right? It's always a conversion. It's, you know, I, I'm converting from euros to Bitcoin. I'm converting to dollars to Bitcoin. I'm converting from pesos to Bitcoin, but I'm thinking of the price in the local the local currency, right? But ultimately, um, that's a problem that solves itself. You know, the t-shirt will just be, it'll have a sats price. You know, it won't, it won't have a price in the, in the local currency. And you won't be converting it in your mind to dollars or euros. Right. Well, when you come back, I want to talk to you about what you just said, how it's early in the days for Bitcoin. So we're going to go to a break. And like I said, make sure you stay with us through this break because now we're going to go, for people who think they're too late, because I hear this all the time from people going, I wish I'd got into Bitcoin earlier, but it's still early. Okay, so I want to go over that because I think that's pretty important for everybody to understand. I appreciate you watching us so far. Gary Leland, the Bitcoin for Boomers show. And I want you to make sure and tell your friends about us and stay with us till after this word from our sponsor. This is the Bitcoin for Boomers show. Welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomer show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, recording from BizTV Studios. I hope you've been enjoying the conversation about Bitcoin. And before we get back with Matt, I do want to let you know about a conference I host every year in Dallas, Texas. It's called the Bitcoin, it's called the Bitblock Boom Conference. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Guess that's what happens to us boomers. But it's the Bitblock Boom Bitcoin Conference. And I host it every year in Dallas, Texas in the end of August. So go to bitblockboom.com if you want to find out about our conference. All we talk about is Bitcoin. We don't talk about altcoins. We don't talk about crypto. We talk about Bitcoin. So check out bitblockboom.com. Now I want to get back to Matt and talk about what Matt said at the end of the last um, segment there. 
Matt, you were saying it's the early days for Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin's been out 11 years. And I hear that all the time from people going, gosh, I wish I'd got into Bitcoin earlier. I wish I'd got into Bitcoin when it was, well, I wish I'd got into it when it was 50 cents, to be honest with you. But people are always stating they wish they got into it earlier. But you're saying it's the early days. So, so what's the scoop here? It's a funny one, Gary. Uh, it seems like no matter what time people get into Bitcoin, they think they're late. Uh, I was looking at a forum post from 2010 where, where someone was complaining that they got in late, uh, which you know, in hindsight is absolutely ridiculous. He was complaining he had like 650 Bitcoin and he mined it with just his computer and he was like, I got in late. No. Um, so no matter when you get in, you think you got in late. I thought I got in late. But the reality is we're we're super early and you know and you can look at that from from two perspectives and i i think that the first thing is is that people i i think they tend to they they tend to look at it like almost like it's a like a tech stock or like a, some kind of short-term pump and then inevitable dump when in reality you should be really comparing it to global monies and you should be comparing it to something like gold and when you when you look at the market cap of bitcoin the market cap right now is sitting at a little bit above 200 billion dollars um which pales in comparison uh to to the the total the total amount of gold that exists um it even pales in comparison to a lot of companies and it rivals net worths of just single individuals and then you combine that with the fact that just not that many people own Bitcoin yet. Uh, you know, rough estimates, it's, it's hard to tell for sure. Put that figure probably somewhere between 25 million people and, and 60 million people in a world filled with 7 billion people. And that world is also filled with a lot of billionaires who are the, exactly the type of people that have not bought into Bitcoin yet. So when you combine all those things together, you're looking at an asset that should be around for a long period of time. We're talking hundreds of years if it's successful it's a superior money and as people adopt it the price should rise because it's scarce so i i think people will be surprised on the upside um with how truly early we are i mean people forget that you know 2015 the price was like 150 dollars on, on the low end and two years later it was touching 20k absolutely craziness well, I think that's a good comparison you made to gold. You know, when I was, when I graduated from high school in 1973, and gold was around 35 or $40 an ounce, I think. And I don't hear anyone now saying, I wish I had gotten into gold earlier. I'd like some gold, but I think it's too late to get into gold. Matter of fact, I think most people, if you ask them about, or most people who've been around that long, if you ask them, do you think gold's going to go up or down, they most of them would say it's going to go up. So I think that's a good equivalent. And I think your other conversation that you just made, or the other point you made, that it's not some short-term pump and dump uh, tech stock. It's something that's going to be here for a while. It's a long-term play, is what you're saying. So if you're thinking this is something you buy just for like a year and you get out of it, that's not really... That's not really the, the game in Bitcoin. The game is to play it for longer term than that. Exactly. Like no one ever says that that oh, I'm late to gold because I didn't buy it 200 years ago because I didn't buy it a thousand years ago. Uh, we're talking we're talking about 
a, a, monet, a potential monetary revolution here. Uh, and, and when I talk to people in your age range, I, I compare it to two things. I compare it to gold, um, which we just discussed, and I compare it to cash. Um, and, and, and what we're seeing right now is we're seeing cash usage decline. We're seeing payments move digitally. And we want to, we, we're gonna need something as a society that can replace that as a digital cash. That's something that's not a complete surveillance coin um, that, is, that is independent uh, of, of governments and central third parties, which is, you know, cash isn't completely independent of them, but it's mostly, it allows this, this economy to roll without any kind of, you know, intrusive middlemen in there. And, and when you look at gold, um, so, so we're, talking, we're talking a very long-term time frame, and we're talking about, we're, we're talking about what gold gold has been used as a money for thousands of years so to to say that you're 11 years in and it's early absolutely ridiculous i think people you know will probably will probably will, will, saying that it's late people will probably be thinking that it's late in 20 years and they'll still be wrong we'll still be early then so in 20 years bitcoin could be a hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand possibly i'm not saying it's going to be and people will still say, gosh, I'm late to the game. They still might not be late to the game, you know, even though, even though no one can afford a whole Bitcoin at that point. You know, I find most younger people, you know, use things like Venmo or Cash App to transfer money, which you were just talking about. Younger people don't really use cash dollars. They would use Venmo. If I was sitting with some of my friends and we were talking and we made a bet on the football game and I lost $100, I'd pull $100 out of my wallet and give it to them, where you probably would say, okay, what's your, let me Venmo you 100 bucks. So why do we need someone in the middle there that we have to send our $100 to, to give the $100 to my friend, you know, through Venmo? Why, which Bitcoin allows us to send $100 straight to my friend. Exactly. And, and that's why I use the cash, I like to use the cash analogy for the older generation. To be clear, I would be the person who would take out a hundred dollar bill in that in that bet and pay the bet with a hundred dollar bill. But most of my peers would pay through one of those apps, right? Um, strictly for convenience. And I, I think a lot of people in your generation don't really realize the state that cash has been put in. Basically, like it, it's basically non-existent in my age range. Uh, so, so there's going to be demand for an alternative. I think Bitcoin meets that characteristic. I think. The U.S. dollar, um, which has been the standard of, of the world for the last 40, 50 years, um, is starting to lose a lot of its trustworthiness. And that's why we see investors fleeing to gold. Um, but gold already has a lot of shortcomings that Bitcoin solves. So I, 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 think, I think the investment case for Bitcoin right now is, is basically this twofold case. It's the reason people are buying gold, which is an independent store of value. And it's, it's the argument that cash usage is going down and people want a digital alternative. And you combine those two together and it's, we're, we're, just, we're just so early, Gary. I, like this either, this either completely fails or we're just extremely early. Like if this is a success, it, we're talking hundreds of years. We're not talking short-term timeframes. You know, in 96, I started my first e-commerce site selling wallpaper of all things on the internet. And everybody pretty much told me I was an idiot. 
<laughs> no one would ever buy wallpaper on the internet, much less anything. So I, I think that that's where we're at now to a degree in Bitcoin. I don't even know if we're at 96 yet. I think maybe we're like in 86, you know, but, uh, and people still aren't figuring it out. But, you know, I had a friend of mine who, talking about gold, you know, who was in Florida. He, he was a gold silver bug and a hurricane was coming. And that was the first time he realized he couldn't take all his gold and silver out of his house. He couldn't put it in his car and take it anywhere. We'll talk more about stuff like that when we get back from this break. Um, but that was a funny story <laughs> we'll share after this break. So thanks for joining us on the Bitcoin for Boomers show. We'll be back with another segment with Matt O'Dell. And we're talking about Bitcoin. That's it. We're talking about Bitcoin. So I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you're learning something. And uh, remember, if you have a question for us, send it to GaryLeland at gmail.com. Be back in a minute. And welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomers show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, live at the Biz TV studios. And we're joined by Matt O'Dell, friend of mine, Matt. Let's get back on here, and I want to go back in that story. Now, my friend, who was a gold bug, I was talking about this before the break, hurricane came to Florida. He's telling his wife, we got to get out of Dodge, <laughs> out of Florida. And he went to his basement to get his silver and gold and realized he could not get all that out of there. And he stayed in his house during the hurricane because he didn't want to leave his savings, you know, his life savings, I guess, basically, to the whims of anyone who invaded his house after it was destroyed by the hurricane. Turned out not to destroy his house, luckily. But, you know, that is a thing about Bitcoin as a safe asset that gold or silver does not offer is portability. I mean, if you've got enough silver or gold, especially silver, you're going to have to have a truck and take several loads of it. I mean, you're going to, it's heavy. Where with Bitcoin, you're not in that situation. And you need to protect it, too. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a major target in, in transit. Uh, I mean, we look at right now, uh, gold's hitting new all-time highs. But still, it's like one Bitcoin is about five and a half ounces of gold. Um, so when you start scaling up there, you, you, you're talking millions of dollars. If you're holding millions of dollars in Bitcoin versus gold, uh, it is it is very difficult to transfer that gold and it's expensive and it's time consuming, um, especially if you're in a situation where you, you could be in a hostile type of situation, right? Like if you're talking about people who are living in Venezuela and they're trying to cross borders. Um, if you look at historically, anytime there were wars, there was just major wealth wealth uh, erasure events where like people just lost their family's wealth that was built up for for hundreds of years or decades or, or whatnot because they were in a situation where they had to flee and they couldn't flee with the money the money was easily seized um with bitcoin instead of that truck you can just send it as easy as a text message uh you can send it around the world for there there are fees but you know in, in terms of, of, of transferring gold in comparison, uh, the cost is, 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 way, is way lower. On top of that, when it comes to storage, you can store it redundantly. So you can keep copies of the backup of the Bitcoin 
in multiple locations. You can think you have two houses, you know, you keep it in both houses. One house burns down, something happens to it. You got another copy in another part, part of the world. Um, you can also do this thing, and this is where we're really early, right? And because this, this technology, this aspect of Bitcoin, we call it multi-sig, is just becoming user-friendly for people to use. But with multi-sig, you can actually have multiple keys to your Bitcoin. Let's say you have five keys, you can make it so you need three of those keys to spend the Bitcoin. And you can keep those five keys in five different locations. You can keep one with your lawyer, you can keep one with a trusted confidant, and you would need that majority of keys in order to spend it. So you you get both redundancy there and additional security. And that's just something you can't do with gold. You can't do that with precious metals. That's a really good point too on the, um, on the multi-sig there. I was talking to Parker Lewis the other day, and he was explaining multi-sig to me because um, I really didn't understand. But that really seems like a great technology to me. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you could have it in separate places, you have separate people, you know, and then you're covered with that. But Bitcoin is not only more portable, I think it's more secure. I've wondered, and maybe you, I, I doubt, I don't think you have firsthand knowledge on this, but in a situation like Hong Kong right now, you know, where the Chinese government is base, has, has come in and they're taking over the country. And there's a lot of people of wealth there. Is that a situation where you think people are, like, converting there? Because they're having a hard time getting cash out of the country, I'm sure. You think that's the, that's the kind of situation where Bitcoin would be the perfect answer to a problem? So there's three competing assets here. Uh, asset classes along with Bitcoin. So you have precious metals, you have gold and silver. Um, you have stocks on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and you have real estate in Hong Kong proper. Uh, some of the most valuable real estate in the world before everything happened. Um, you know, real estate's a people don't talk about it as much, but it's a major store of value uh, globally. And it does definitely compete with precious metals, stocks and Bitcoin. So those three other assets classes when all of this happened, it, it became very hard for anyone to move their wealth out of Hong Kong. But if you had Bitcoin, you could either, if you could get out yourself, you can, you can get out while hiding, hiding your Bitcoin keys. Um, and it'd be very hard to, to detect that you were doing that when you were crossing the border. You could also send it to a friend through the internet or a family member that's located outside of Hong Kong and then hopefully meet up with them afterwards, right? And rendezvous. Um, the major issue is the reason those other assets are easy to get seized, are easy to stop you from moving them out of Hong Kong in that kind of situation is exactly why it'll be hard to buy Bitcoin in that situation uh, as they clamp down on all of those known assets. Um, so so for, for Bitcoin to protect you in that type of situation, you really need to have it first. You need to have it first you need to be ready, already holding your Bitcoin, knowing how to use it before that type of situation happens. Um, hopefully, what I'd like to see is as Bitcoin gets becomes more adopted and, be, and becomes more used, uh, governments, authoritarian governments like the Chinese government will be less likely to act in these type of ways because they just won't be able, they, they'll know ahead of time they can't enforce it. So if they can't enforce it, maybe they don't do, make the move in the first place. That's a good point. Now, Matt, we're going to have to end the show here or let you go. Before we do, though, how can people follow you 
And is there anything you want to share with our audience that I may not have gone over because we didn't we didn't get into you personally too much here? Um, well, I do a, a weekly a, a weekly podcast show uh, to you boomers. It's like a radio show. Uh, <laughs> you can search for it on Tales. It's called Tales from the Crypt. You search for it in a podcast app. All of my links are at mattodell.com. So if you if you want to, I have resources there to learn more about Bitcoin. Um, I have the different projects I'm working on. It's all there at mattodell.com, and I will be at Gary's. Um, I'm very, I'm looking forward to Gary's conference uh, at the end of August. Block boom. And some of us boomers know what a podcast is. You don't need to say like a radio show. <laughs> I, think, I think most people know what that is nowadays. Matt, I appreciate you coming on the show because I know it was short notice. And everybody, I really truly can say this. You need to listen to Rabbit Hole Recap, Tales from the Crypt. I listen to every episode. I listen to some episodes of Tales from the Crypt, but every episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. Thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it, Matt, very much. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it as well. And so, that's Matt O'Dell. Great guy. Great show. I want you to see it. We're going to try to get a question in real quick. We'll run a little, I'll let Matt talk because I was enjoying listening to him. Travis, we got another question I know. What's our question? Let's see if we can get that in real quick. Yes, we got Skip from Florida. When COVID is over and conferences start back up, what are some of the better ones to go to? Well, I can answer that one pretty quick. One of the best ones is ones we've been talking about, BitBlock Boom. But there's also another one in uh, Vegas in the spring. Put on my Tone Vase, unconfiscatable. I went to it for the first time this year. Great conference. Conference. It's another Bitcoin conference, but those are the only conferences I'm interested in. There's another conference in the spring called Bitcoin 2021. I think that'll be in March or so. So uh, BitBlock Boom is about 200, 300 people. Unconfiscatable is about 100, 200 people. And if you want to go to a bigger conference, go to Bitcoin 2021. That's in LA, and that'll be about 2,000 people. So there's three good conferences for you to check out in the United States, at least ways. Then you might want to check out the Honey Badger Conference or Malta, uh, some good conferences over in Europe. So those are the conferences I would recommend. And thanks for your question. And remember, if you do have a question, send it to Gary Leland. Gary Leland at gmail.com. And we'll try to get your question on the show. We usually get about two of them on every episode. I also want to tell you about another show I do, a podcast I do, Four Minute Bitcoin. If you want to find out more about Bitcoin, this show comes out every weekday, one news item in four minutes or less. Short, sweet, and to the point. That's Four Minute Bitcoin. Dot com for more information on that. Now we're going to take a break and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomer show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and I en hope you enjoyed today's show with Matt Odell. Matt is a good friend and he knows a lot about Bitcoin. So I do want to make sure you also know about a little article I read that, uh, earlier today I thought was really interesting. I saw an article by Nick Chung at NewsBTC stating that on July 22nd, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency wrote that American banks are allowed to hold cryptographic keys. Now that's pretty cool. That's to say U.S. financial institutions can be a custodian for Bitcoin. 
This letter from the regulator was immediately seen as one of the best Bitcoin-related news items in months and maybe years. Suzu, the chief executive of Three Arrows Capital, explained that U.S. banks being able to offer custody is insanely bullish because Wall Street will see the profits being made by crypto-native banks like Silvergate, then rush into the space to capture that yield. Many have embraced this news as a positive catalyst for the market, but banks holding digital assets is a concept technically against Bitcoin's ethos. No one ever said, I can't wait to deposit my Bitcoin in a U.S. bank. And, and I thought the whole point of Bitcoin was to be your own bank. So I guess it's currently not clear how some fundamentals in the crypto space will rationalize banks holding Bitcoin and other digital assets. But for the time being, it's been seen as a positive growth catalyst for Bitcoin. And to some market participants, that's enough. So I'm curious, do you think banks will start holding Bitcoin deposits? I mean, will I take my Bitcoin keys up to the bank and say, hold them? Tell me your thoughts and make sure and take a look at 4MinuteBitcoin.com for one news story every day in four minutes or less. And check out the BitBlock Boom conference at BitBlockBoom.com. If you have any questions you want me to try to answer on the show, send them to GaryLeland at gmail.com and I'll try to answer them for you. We'll give them to Travis here and Travis will ask the questions to me. I'm Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and I'm hoping you're enjoying this show. And I hope you enjoy join us next week for another episode. But other than that, I want you to make sure and tell people about the show. See you next week on the Bitcoin for Boomer show.